Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we look back at the Great Cup defeat. I'll give some thoughts on the Bombers' legacy as it sits on this very day. And we'll also hear from members of the Winnipeg Jets as they get set to go on a three-game road trip starting in Florida against Tampa Bay on Wednesday. That's coming up on the podcast. What a Great Cup game it was in Hamilton. And I'm sorry, Blue Bomber fans. It was objectively a fantastic, dramatic game. But when your team is involved in something like that, and they come out on the wrong end, you don't care how good the game was. All you can think about was, oh, we lost. And we could have won that. So you may want to divert your attention for the next few minutes, or maybe you'll be okay as we do this. But you know every Monday or Tuesday, depending on the week, I do a recap of the weekend CFL action. So for one last time until June, we have a CFL recap right now. It's the Grey Cup recap, the 110th. And once again, Bomber fans, I'm sorry. The site of the Bombers' last championship, Hamilton, Ontario, against an Alouette's team making their first appearance in the big game in 13 years. Underdogs by more than a touchdown, and they decide to defer after winning the coin toss. So Winnipeg gets the ball and gets to work. Brady Oliveira gains five. Zach Kolaris hits Nick Dembski. More Brady. A pass to Dalton Schoen. He's playing? What? So is Adam Big Hill. Stutter. Bombers get to the 19 before stalling out. A field goal from Sergio Castillo opens the scoring. Montreal goes 2-0, and out, and the Bombers' offense gets right back at it. A 26-yard gain by Kenny Lawler is a big one, but it looks like the Bombers are going to be held to three again. But an unnecessary roughness penalty gives them new life. The next play, Oliveira barges in from five yards out. It's 10-0 Winnipeg already. This one could be getting ugly quick, but Montreal punches back. Four plays later, they're into the end zone. A 31-yard catch by Austin Mack, a 32-yard touchdown dash from William Stanback. It is 10-7 after one. The team straight punts before Klaas hits Lawler again for a 42-yard gain inside the Montreal 30. Now remember all week, though, I said the only way Winnipeg loses is if they turn the ball over. And in field goal range, Oliveira fumbles, Montreal recovers, though they didn't do anything with it. Next bomber punt, the Owls return the favor. James Letcher Jr. on the return. Brandon Alexander pops the ball out. Mike Benson recovers it at the Owls 29. And five plays later, Dakota Prukop gets it in with the patented backup quarterback. One-yard touchdown plunge, 17-7 with three minutes to go in the first half. Montreal needs a response, and here they come. Cody Fajardo hits Mack for six. Tyler Sneed for 10. Tyson Philpot for 12. Sneed for 23 down to the three-yard line. They have three cracks to get to Pater. Standback gets two of them. Caleb Evans gets stuffed. And so suddenly on third down, they got to go for it. Evans is stuffed again. Shane Gauthier makes the pop. And Winnipeg takes a 10-point lead into the break. What a game-changing turn of events that feels much less of a big deal after Green Day plays some music and Montreal takes only three plays at the start of the third to get into the end zone. Mack with a crazy one-handed catch goal speaker dusting a hobbled Big Hill in coverage for a 23-yard score. We've got a ball game. What do the Bombers have for a response? Well, this is looking promising. Dembski and Oliveira and Lawler and Waltarski and the Bombers have it inside the Montreal 10. First and goal from the 9 and Kolaris wants it all. He lofts it to the corner of the end zone for Lawler. But Kavion Ento high points it, snags it away. It's slightly underthrown, maybe a bit late. Yadimski in the flat. I don't know. It's a huge, huge turnover for Winnipeg. So the Owls, they have the ball to start the fourth. Fajardo airs it out deep. But what a play by Evan Holm. He takes it away from Mack for the pick at the Bomber 21. It basically had the yardage of a punt, but it feels like a big boost of momentum. 
until Winnipeg goes backwards and punts. And Phil Pot returns at 30 yards, and Montreal starts at the Winnipeg 28. Three plays later, Fajardo to Mac. And Montreal has the lead in the fourth quarter of the Grey Cup. It's happening again. The Bombers are going to lose the Grey Cup again. They have to have an answer. Good return from Janarian. Grant gets them the ball at their own 54 with 11 minutes to go. Kolaris hits Rashid Bailey for eight. Prukop five-yard run. Oliveira for eight. Prukop for three. Five for Brady. Five to Demke. Ten to Bailey. Oliveira for eight. And on second down from the four, Prukop rushes in and puts Winnipeg back on top with five minutes left. Still lots of time for Montreal. Down by three, but they get only one first down before they have to punt. And the punt sucks. It goes off the side of the foot of Joseph Zima. Straight out of bounds. That's a penalty. Winnipeg get the ball at their own 47 with three minutes to go. A couple first downs, and they win the Grey Cup. But after Oliveira gains two yards on first down, Darnell Sankey, who was not on the Owls roster the two times these teams met in the regular season, and who said after his Alouettes debut, which was a loss, that they never lose again, goes out and sacks Kolaris to force a punt. A minute 55 to go. All on the Owls 27. Fajardo, here is your legacy moment. Hits Phil Pot for 13, and then 8, and then Evans gains 7 yards on the sneak. But when Fajardo is sacked for a loss of 8 with a minute left, it's Coche again. Things are looking dire. Second and 18. Winnipeg in the driver's seat. But like Chad Kelly in the fourth quarter last year, Fajardo escapes contained and gets 13 yards back. But still, it's third down and five. The game is on the line. Fajardo gets the ball, turns, fires a prayer deep, and Speaker is there to haul it in for a 31-yard gain. The Bombers weren't ready for it. So now, Montreal in field goal range for the tie. But they don't want that tie. They want the win. So Fajardo throws a missile to the end zone. And Philpott has it. Touchdown, Montreal. Alele's Alouette. Just seconds to go. One last hope for Winnipeg. Kolaris to Jamison Sheehan, who tries to punt it to the end zone. And hope for a mistake, but he gets blasted. Montreal gets the kick. They take a knee. They rush the field. They're the champs. The Bombers cannot seal the deal. A 10-point halftime lead. They lose the Great Cup again. Congrats, Montreal. Champions of the CFL. But this one is going to sting for a while for Winnipeg. And that's it. Another season of CFL action is in the books. Indeed it is, and what a season it was. And for the CFL, you couldn't ask for much more than what we got last night in terms of entertainment. And Montreal gets their first Grey Cup since 2010. 13 years they had to wait. My mom is very happy. She's an Alouettes fan. I was raised uh, to cheer for the Alouettes. I have an Anthony Calvillo jersey. I felt nothing for them last night. It's gone. I think partially because I live here now and partially because they've been bad for a long time. And they kind of just left. But there's a couple things I want to point out before giving kind of an overall view of of what happened. Winnipeg and the Grey Cup game in their history are seven and three against the Tiger Cats and five and thirteen against everyone else. It's weird, and part of that is they got pummeled by the Argos decades and decades ago. But even the last thirty years, right? They've had several Grey Cup defeats since the uh, 1990 championship. Zach Kolaris in the playoffs the last three years. Completion percentage, almost 71%. It's good. 1,224 yards. Good. Four touchdowns, eight interceptions. Bad. He's the highest paid player in the CFL and didn't throw for a touchdown last night. I get the Dakota Prukop ran for two. Brady Oliveira ran for one, and he helped drive them down the field. Only four incompletions. But the mistakes in the biggest moment, he made that underthrow. Great interception. But that was such a a pivotal play. And so many what-if moments, for sure, for the Bombers. 
Um, but they got outplayed on the biggest stage by a team that didn't have an owner when free agency began. <laughs> and they win the Grey Cup. Anything is possible. And just overall for the Blue Bombers, we have to recognize that making it to four straight Grey Cups is a special accomplishment. It's only happened three times in 110 years. It's a super big deal. And winning two cups in a four-year span is also really quite good, especially because they won zero for almost three decades. But there's always going to be a but. Because you know what's better than two Grey Cups in four years? Three. You know what's better than winning three Grey Cups in four years? Four. Winning two in four years... Again, quite good, but winning three and four is the dynasty. Winning four in a row is just absolute immortality. It's beyond a dream come true. Your names are written in the history books forever. And I think the idea of immortality is intoxicating. The what if of all what ifs, but that's gone. It isn't going to happen. Instead, you're left with just a heaping bucket of almosts and so closes and what ifs over the last two Grey Cup games. You could take 20 moments from either game and if one or two go differently for Winnipeg. We could be talking immortality. Instead, we're talking about this. Regrets. Life is full of butts. So are sports, especially football, especially the CFL. Again, a nine-team league in a sport where on any given day, anything can happen. The best team over the course of a season doesn't always lift the trophy. 2022, Winnipeg had four more wins than Toronto, lost. 2019, Hamilton had four more wins than Winnipeg, lost. 2017, Calgary had four more wins than Toronto, lost. 2016, Calgary had seven more wins than Ottawa, lost. That Calgary team was far and away the best team in the CFL consistently for years. They made four great cups in five and won twice. That's good, but you're always left thinking, oh, they should have done more. The Alouettes of the Aughts. From 2002 to 2010, they made the Grey Cup game seven times in nine years. They won three, they lost four. Winnipeg had a chance to rise above this crop, but instead, that's where they live now. Great teams that should have more rings. This is not the English Premier League, right? Regular season success gets you a home playoff game, perhaps a first round bye, but only means an increased chance of making the big game. Once you get to that big game, what we've learned is that all bets are off. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers could have had the league's first dynasty in 40 years. And if they go on and win the next two, four out of six, yeah, maybe we have that conversation. But right now, we're not. And the thought of what could have been is going to eat at the players, it's going to eat at the fans, and right now, the two losses, and this is partially because of the recency bias of it, the two losses sting more than the two wins feel good. This team has accomplished so much good, but whenever this golden era of Blue Bomber football ends, if it's next year or 25 or who knows when, right at the top of the obituary will be a but. A note of what could have been. Because in the end, acting the fool of men said it best on the website formerly known as Twitter. People think the point of sports is that your team will win and then you will be happy. That is not the point of sports. The point of sports is to be sad in a group. And right now, Winnipeg is sad in a group. And on that note, we take a break, and we're going to hear from some of the sad Blue Bombers. A lot of post-game reaction we weren't able to get to last night in our post-game show. We'll get to some of it. We'll hear from Drew Olatarski, Shane Goche, Nick Hallett, Jamarcus Hardrick coming up in the next 10 minutes. The Winnipeg Jets, who practiced today, 
gearing up for that three-game road trip that will begin Wednesday in Tampa Bay. They also go to Florida Friday, and then they have Nashville to close it out before coming home for a couple big games, Dallas and Edmonton, to seal off the month. And Gabriel Velarde, according to acting head coach Scott O'Neill, could play on the upcoming road trip. I mean, I know he's been out in the ice doing some uh, sort of shooting, conditioning stuff here, but that was his first one with all the guys and getting in line rushes and being in a situation where he may have to, you know, shift his weight, change his, you know, maybe happen to run into somebody. Um, you know, he'll do a little bit more of that as this week goes on, and then we'll see how he is. Uh, you know, we'll just take it day to day. First, uh, you know, first he has to feel comfortable um, with his knee and his situation. The second thing is his conditioning. That's a big one that we want. We don't want to put him out there where if he's not ready to go and close to 100%, and, you know, something happens because he's not in, in proper shape. So it was a non-contact jersey for Velarde today. Uh, Morgan Barron, Vladislav Nemestikov did not practice. It was just maintenance. So the line rushes saw Dominic Toninato as a placeholder in Nemestikov's place on the second line. Velarde in a non-contact, the fourth line wing in place of Barron. Uh, the, by the way, they're they're off to Florida already. They, they left this afternoon. Uh, now, when Velarde is back, do we know where he's going to slot in? I've been trying not to think about it too much, um, but he's, you know, we'll just let it play itself. Uh, we'll just, when we look at things where, uh, you know, where we are when that game uh, comes about, when it's when he's going to be back in the lineup, we'll just kind of sit back and look and realize or figure out what that spot is. Because it was a small sample size with him and Kyle Connor and, and Mark Shifley, um, what is the temptation to rediscover that even though Alex has been filling in very well in that. He's an elite six player, you know, I mean, he's a top end player that's, uh, you know, had a breakout year last year and, you know, I know that uh, you know, he has a skill set that you know, it's got to, he's a, he needs to play with top people and so we'll just, whether that's with those guys, wherever it might be, um, we'll just kind of kind of let just things play out this week and kind of go from there um, you know, whether he's uh, with those guys or somebody else, you know he's going to make that line better, he's going to he, he has a he has a skill set that's uh, you know different from some of those guys. I mean, he's a big power forward uh, with big with really good hands and pl- plays a lot of the game around the net front. So he'll be a real good addition to us. I'm guessing too. It's like if there was any possibility that you might contemplate him at center coming back from an inj- injury of that length. Is probably- look at them all. I, we, I really are. We're going to look at them all. We'll just see. Um, you know, I mean, maybe not his first game back. Throw him in the middle might not be the best thing, um, but. Just uh, he's always been an option for us through the middle of the ice. Uh, that's something that he's done over his career. So that's uh, whether that happens right away or whether we don't do it at all, we'll just kind of play that along. So the Jets are coming off this four and one homestand, the one loss to Dallas. But Arneal says it's music to his ears that the players still aren't happy with what happened against Dallas. To hear that, that uh, means that they're not satisfied. And uh, we know who's sitting at the top of the division and um, you know near the top of the conference. And um, we want to keep climbing and getting after these guys. you got to win those. When you get those head-to-heads, we got a chance when we come off the trip. They're going to be back here waiting for us again. So we got another kick at it. So, But we won't look too far ahead on that. But those guys, to hear them say that, that's a challenge that they, at early in the year, it's something that they, uh, you know, next kick at it, they want to make sure we do a little bit better. But... Lots of positive responses from the Jets during that five-game homestand. Seeing something we hadn't seen before in those back-to-back to finish this uh, homestand, it was a great job 
by our guys just uh, you know staying with games you know you never how the, each one unfolds in its uh, own different way and uh, but just uh, you know how we finally uh, finished it off uh, not giving up I think we gave up three shots uh, last 30 minutes of game no scoring chances it's a pretty good sign of just kind of how we've been playing kind of without the puck and that's probably been the biggest sort of message for the last five games that you know we're making it hard for the opposition to get offense and it's going to be real important going out in the road now. Looked very good in that Arizona game to close it out in the third period. It was a little scratchy at times, but then they pulled away and uh, put the hammer down. That was really good to see. And a big part of that was Kyle Connor again getting a goal and an assist. Now sits tied with Austin Matthews for the league lead in scoring. Not that he cares. You know, during the season, you don't have time to think about that. You know, so that's, you know, pretty far in the back of my mind, to be honest. You know, at the end of the year, obviously, I, you know, look back on how the year went and obviously grateful for all the good things and, you know, seeing what I can prove on. But right now, it's, you know, I'm so focused on the next opponent and, you know, trying to keep getting better in any way possible. So it's, um, you know, I don't take too much stock into it at all, really. But come on. 14 goals in 17 games to share the scoring lead is a pretty big deal. I mean, it's it's such a, you know, during the season, you don't have time to think about that, you know. So that's, um, you know, pretty far in the back of my mind, to be honest. You know, at the end of the year, obviously, I... Yeah, I just played that. Let's get back to Kelly's next question. Oh, Kyle, five of your 10 wins as a team, you've scored the game winner, and there's not an empty netter. <laughs> you know, amongst them, and, and to take the goal-scoring lead with the quality of a goal that you scored the other night. Yeah, um, you know, obviously that's something I pride myself in is being able to step up and, you know, that type of moment. Um, you know, when it's a tie ball game or, um, you know, we're down, that's I feel like, you know, you feel the, the crowd coming and, you know, you, you kind of feel the anticipation of the moment. That's, I feel like where I play at my best and, you know, you get a little extra gear and, um, you know, you don't want to be you want to be called upon in those moments and you want to be ready when that time comes. And, you know, obviously we're, we're just building here and um, to the ultimate goal of, is to play this type of way in the playoffs and obviously get it done in a big way. And from the coach again, Scott O'Neill, the acting head coach, the Jets are one of two teams right now that rank top five in both five on five goals for and again, fewest against. And Vancouver's the other going into tonight. It's pretty solid. We always knew we could score goals, and we've always done a pretty good job in that department. But it was, you know, our emphasis, our emphasis from the start of the year has been to defend a lot better and be a tougher team to play against. Uh, and I think that's one thing where everybody's grasped, grasped that, not just. You know, ten guys, twelve guys, or just their defense, or whatever. Everybody's jumped on board of that, and you know, we've we've created some offense because of our good defense. And uh, it's hard to do at game fifty-five, sixty. All of a sudden, say, okay, we want to play defense because the playoffs are coming. We want to build something here that becomes sort of our our DNA that it just keeps rolling all season long and it goes right into the playoffs. The old theory about U.S. Thanksgiving is the determining factor for the rest of the year. Uh, do you uh, believe in that or is that one you just shake your head to? Uh, I mean, there there are some teams that have made it back, uh, but it, it is something that's been out there for a while. I, don't, I really don't care too much about other. We don't care too much about other teams. We're just making sure that we're staying in the hunt. We're making it, uh, you know, staying as high as possible in our division and in our conference and just take care of our business. All right. We also have a one-on-one to share with you as David Gustafson talked with R. Kelly Moore today. Their conversation started with a chat about Gustafson moving back into the middle on the fourth line following the injury to Rasmus Kapari. Center is the position I, I want to play when I feel most natural at. And as you say, I mean, that's not the way you want to go into the lineup. I mean, I... I don't wish that to happen to anyone, but now here we are, and I just got to make the most of it. 
And, and you guys continue to put together quality shift after quality shift. You know, gone are the days, I think, when it's four and a half or five minutes for the for the number four line. You guys are getting your nine and a half to ten most nights. Yeah, I mean, I... Um, you know, you always want to play, and uh, you know, I, you always feel, you always feel happy when you that's get the whole idea behind yeah. it. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the whole idea. That's what we want to do, and uh, you know, yeah, I feel like we're putting some quality shift, and we're really doing our job out there. But uh, you know, I feel like we still have some more to give, and uh, you know, there's uh, always things you got to work on, and I feel like we can create some more chances and more uh, goals from our line. But, you know, it has to also, uh, you know, in terms of a smooth transition, when a guy like Axel can step in there, and it's like never missed a beat. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's what makes us strong. I mean, we have have guys that can just step into the lineup and, you know, do their job. And, yeah, just never miss a beat. And, you know, Axel is a guy that you can you can rely on. You know he's going to, I mean, he's going to be just as good every game. I know you know you talked about some of the different training that you did this year to get ready for this uh, uh, challenge because as you and Rick have both told us you know from training camp you didn't have a job when you came here uh, but I don't know what can you do to train to improve in the faceoff circle because uh, uh, the uh, uh, certainly the improvement you've made on draws is quite noticeable as well. Yeah, I mean, first of all, like the more draws you take, the better you're gonna get. So like, uh, uh, obviously, in practice and stuff, you take draws and stuff, but. You know, I feel like the biggest thing is just the preparation, making sure you know the other player that you're playing against. And I feel like we watch a lot of video before beforehand, before the game, what guys I'm going to take draws against. And then, you know, playing against those guys. Yeah. The more you play against those guys, the more you're going to know what they're going to do and the better chance you have to actually counter their move and, like, make something out of it. Pretty exciting weekend uh, uh, in your home country, uh, as you were mentioning to me before we started this interview. It's not like you grew up next door to Stockholm and Gulfburg, but uh, still, though, I think for the country and and how exciting and dramatic the games were as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I remember when I was a kid and went uh, and watched the Global Series, and you know, we had a had a good time there, and uh, it was a big big moment for me and uh, my dad going up to Stockholm watching. You know, Sederberg and those guys coming home to Sweden to play in front of Swedish fans. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. Was, uh, was, was young David Gustafsson, uh, uh, was his hero Henrik Sederberg? Or? Yeah, I mean, that was the guy I looked up to, you know, center and uh, just a awesome two-way player. Just, uh, yeah, one of the guys I looked up to for sure. Multiple Stanley Cup champion. I yeah, yeah, that's pretty good too, right? <laughs> hey, just before we wrap up here, uh, you've got a big three-game road trip coming up, uh, starting with uh, a game in Tampa Bay. And, and while they might not be quite as deep as they were when they were winning uh, those Stanley Cups and playing in the finals, I mean, they're still a quality opponent, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a team that have history of winning. And, uh, you know, that the guys on that team, they're, they're not satisfied by just being where they are right now. They want to win. And, you know, every time you go to Tampa, it's going to be a tough game. That's David Gustafson chatting with our Kelly Moore earlier today. We'll have more from the Jets are skating in t- Florida tomorrow, which means we probably won't have a ton of audio from the team. But we'll we'll definitely talk about the Jets. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all.